Welcome to Women Positively Aging, the podcast for women in midlife who want to live well for longer. I'm your host, Barbara Bray. I'm a PhD researcher in healthy aging diets at Queen's University Belfast in Northern Ireland, part of the UK. I'm passionate about living well for long days, woven into my research. And the reason I set up this podcast was to help people who are in midlife realize that there are things that we can do to improve the quality of our health as we age. Some of it is to do with genetics, some of it's to do with the environment, but there's some good news there about our lifestyle choices and behaviours, things that we can do just to inch closer to having a healthier lifestyle once you take away some of the wider environmental and genetic factors. Season two of this podcast builds on season one, where we'll be looking at specific areas such as bone health and weight management, things that have been bothering women probably didn't want to talk about them or didn't know the right source of information to look for. I invite experts, but also people with lived experience to share their experiences and tell their stories that you can learn from them as well. I do look forward to getting new listeners to the podcast and engaging with you either on social media or sending me messages on my website. And please do subscribe to the podcast so you get to find out when new episodes are released. Thank you very much and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to today's episode, Letting Go of Wanting to Lose Weight, with non-diet counsellor Mel Wakeman and guest Amy Wilkinson sharing her lived experience. Mel is a highly experienced and neurodivergent registered nutritionist, specialising in intuitive eating, non-diet nutrition and counselling for eating disorders, disordered eating and body image issues. She developed an eating order herself at 16, now recovered, which fed her interest in nutrition before beginning a long lecturing career in 1997. Since launching Wakeman Nutrition in 2017, Mel is on a mission to help folk who find food difficult and stressful discover freedom, peace and happiness in their own skin. Amy is a coach supporting women and teams in the food and grocery industry to be more assertive and get the recognition that they deserve in their careers. She works with women across the sector to help them be more confident in themselves. Often, the conversation comes back to appearance and weight, which is something that Amy has also battled with her whole life. She burnt out just over a decade ago whilst on a restrictive diet and intensive exercise regime. And she now helps women be more self-assured so that they too can have successful careers without burning out. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me for this episode. Thanks, Barbara. Thank you for having us. Yeah, great. (laughs) Looking forward to this. (laughs) I know it's going to be a great episode and I'd like to start with Mel really if we can talk first about the impact of diet messaging so all of that public health information and the things that we're bombarded with about diets first yeah it's a lot isn't it like we get bombarded with a lot of stuff and it's often very confusing and very conflicting so we're told to do one thing the next and then don't do that do this instead and I, I struggle to keep up with it. So I kind of really appreciate it for the sort of, you know, general public, as it were. But when it comes to diet, I think that just to clarify, you know, I think realistically, diet is yes, of course, it's what we put in our body is what we eat. But I think the most common connotation association is that which is associated with the weight loss. And what I've seen 
through my whole life has been this persistent expectation that women particularly, as well as men, but women are supposed to, um, you know, strive for this thinner body because it's perceived, we are told it's better, we are told it's healthier. And that just isn't the case, you know? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we're, we're, we're a product of what we see in our environment. And we know that we're supposed to look in a certain way. And how do you, how do you really decide about how you filter that out? And in terms of the diet culture, what have you seen that you think is, is harmful? Gosh, I think it's that, that narrative, which is we are almost expected to starve our body. I think what I've seen a lot more recently is almost celebrating and aspiring to not eating, which sits mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very uneasily in me because of my past lived experience of that, but because I'm also helping people that are trying to navigate that. And I think that's come from a place where we're told that, you know, we should lock up the hunger till lunch, you know. These are diets mm-hmm. where you won't feel hungry and the, the perception that we shouldn't be snacking is deemed bad and the idea that hunger is something actually almost something to be feared by. So I see many mm-hmm. and speak to many women who feel very much out of control around food. So the idea of not having to think about food and therefore not eat is kind of desirable and I get that. But it's mm-hmm. what we understand in terms of science is when we undergo restrictive diets, it has a negative impact on our body image. Mm-hmm. And so those two absolutely sort of dovetail together. And again, going back to my own childhood, there has been this continual expectation that women are supposed to conform to this ideal body. And, you know, the body ideal has been around for decades. It goes back to the mid-1800s. And it constantly shifts. Uh The goalposts are constantly being Uh moved. But there's it's definitely this social constructs there's there's elements of patriarchy in there there's something around mm-hmm. obedience and i think mm-hmm. for women it can be very difficult for us to kind of stand up and take up the space that we are supposed to take up wow that's we've packed a lot into that point just then i'm now going to turn to amy can you tell us about your experience in your early years just talking to mel's point about that body image and that discrimination So much of what Mel was saying really resonates with me. So I think I don't ever remember not feeling like I had to have some, like it needed to be doing something to make myself smaller. I've always felt like that. Um, And I'm sure there was a time when I didn't, but I, and exactly what Mel was saying about, you know, decades and decades of women, um, you know, being told that they need to be a certain shape. And I remember from a very young age, like my, my, um, grandmother, so my mum's mum being very like, um, she used to come up to me and my sister and like pinch the tops of our arms and be like, Oh, you're getting a little bit fat there. And she was, she always, she knew she was always very well turned out herself. She was quite slim herself. Um, but then also my mum, you know, she used to give my mum quite a hard time and I cannot ever remember a time in my mum's, in my life that my mum has not been on a diet or, or, or have been in that yo-yo cycle. And 
I always feel like whenever I talk about my mum publicly, I have to say, I'm not blaming my mum for anything. Um, but I think it is, it's exactly what you were saying, Mel. It's that, um, you know, that societal pressure to always just feel like you should be trying the next thing, like whatever the latest diet is. And I always just felt that pressure to be smaller. Um, and, you know, I have always struggled with my weight and I can't remember now when was the first time I, I went on a diet, but it was it was teenage years, you know, it, it was younger than I needed to be going on a diet. And when I look back at photos now, I'm like, why did you ever think you were going, needed to go on a diet? But it was just, um, you know, it was just the norm, you know, it was just what happened in our household. We, we you know, everything was centered around the latest diet you know that was the my reality and I, I don't think I'm alone in that at all you definitely aren't alone yeah. it's interesting because I did a piece of research last year and I was talking to older adults my PhD is focusing on older adults and their food practices and I was blown away actually by some of the responses I was getting and I was asking people about their food practices because the women who were in their late 60s and early 70s were also on diets mm. and obviously we know how destructive that is once you get past a certain age because you lose muscle tissue and mm -hmm. you need to maintain a good level of health and your appetite goes down anyway. So if you're then on top of that restricting your food intake, you already know that you're going to be causing a lot of damage for the, the few years that you've got left. And I found it quite difficult not to stop the interview and grab hold of them and go, no, 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 stop. So it's, it's I not know, and, Yeah. And I do think it is hard. Like I can't, talk to my mum about it because I find it you know we've got such polar opposite views on it now that I can't I can't even open the discussion but she's always talking about what the latest diet that she's on is and she's in her 70s and you know it is it is a worry and um you know and I'll just say it wasn't just my mum that uh, there, were, there were those influences there my dad um has also had issues with food so issues with overeating so I had like one end of the spectrum where I'll see you know that my mum was obsessed with dieting and she was help, trying to help my dad as well mm -hmm. um but he would secretly eat um he will have no problem me talking about this um and he ended up having to have a gastric bypass I can't it was about 10-15 years ago because he had got to the size where you know he was going to die if he did if they didn't mm -hmm. do something mm -hmm. um so and he he tells me stories of, you know, so he was obviously, well, not obviously, but he was brought up in the um, post-war era and, you know, the food was more scarce and he was one of four kids and he used to go down and steal food from the kitchen in the middle of the night. So, mm -hmm. and, and they, it wasn't that they didn't have food. It was just, you know, that restrictive thing going mm -hmm. on even then. So that was in the 1950s. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's all around us really. And for me, it has definitely affected me in that throughout my life, I have yo-yo dieted. I've, I haven't for the last few years and we can come on and talk to about how as I've got older I've changed that perception um but it's always you know for for a long time and for still a lot of my friends I'm in my mid mid 40s now that still are just constantly talking about dieting or on a diet um and I'm quite pleased that I'm a little bit more free of that now. Yeah. Hurrah, we will come on to that <laughs> in a bit as well. But it leads us nicely into talking about relationships with food. So if I can come back to Mel, please, and, and let's talk about relationships with food and where we think uh, it has started to go wrong. That's a big question, actually. You can pick the angle you like on that, Mel. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's oh, so I think you know, there's so much knowledge now, the advancements in understanding how food and nutrients interact in our body has absolutely advanced. But I think we're very much still stuck in that place where we're mistaking association with causation. So what we Mm -hmm. often see in terms of the information advice out there comes back to the idea that it's constantly changing. And it kind of with adding in the impact of social media now that we have now, which we didn't have when we were younger, just kind of going back when we were younger, it was the it was the slimming groups and it was the slimming clubs. And it was that kind of community yeah. kind of support, which is, I think, what made it very mm-hmm. popular. Now we're being mm-hmm. influenced by so from so many different directions and we get the sensationalism and the hype around it. And again, it's like we, we're in we're almost expected in some respects to like, we are entirely responsible for our own health. That's the message I think that many of us might be hearing from our own government. There's, there's a level of health healthism here, which is it's our responsibility. And I think that's, that's where we're inviting the shame in because it implies that, you know, our food choices are, are our choice. And, as you know, Barbara, that's much more complex. There are so many influences and social determinants that determine our body shape and our size and our food choices. And ultimately, everything has got, I've just gone in a very roundabout way, but it's very complicated. So when yes. we have all this complex messaging that's constantly changing, and I think what we do as a result of that is we simplify it. So we've gone from the complexities and the nuance around our behaviours around food and how nutrition affects our bodies to eat this, not that. Good food, bad food. It's very black and white. It's oversimplified and it misses out all the grey and the nuance. And so what happens and what happened to me individually was I got sucked into that. And so when we... Mm -hmm dichotomize food into this good versus bad essentially we become a bad person if we eat the bad food and that kind of spirals in terms of our emotions linked to those eating experiences and then there's a level of morality like i'm a good person i'm a better person when i eat this food food is not a moral issue but it's made into one and that adds another layer of complexity into our relationship with food whereby it can become self-punishing or we feel we've got to compensate for doing something that we're kind of told is terrible like overeating and emotionally eating and I think it's really important that we really start to understand as we followed these diets, the impact is it disconnects us from our body and yes. we lose trust with our body. So we're much likely to follow and adhere to the social media messages and the so-called experts mm-hmm. doing inverted commas who tell us what we should be eating. I'm really into thinking about how can we move back in and try and trust our body? We can't hack it. We don't need to hack it, but that's we're told we can trick it all the time. And then that just sets us up for failure. So is that a good place to start? 
That gives us even more to unpack. And I liked what you were saying at the beginning of that, that piece where you were talking about we're learning so much more, we know much, much more. We know from learning to be nutritionists, we, we get given a whole lot of information, but it's almost like it's divorced from the the wider piece around the culture and society and why we eat. And I know, Amy, you also trained as a nutritionist as well, didn't you? How does yes. this land with you? Yeah, and that's, and, and it's, do you know what Mel was saying there about the shame element? as well like I actually feel shame to say I've got a degree in nutrition and I'm severely overweight you know like it it, it I sort of because people might try and give me advice like I've started seeing a PT recently and, what, she was, and I'm like yeah, yeah I've got a degree in nutrition and then I'm like oh but how can I have a degree in nutrition and be fat you know like how can those two things go together and um and I think you know the reality is like you say things are changing all the time like my degree was 25 years ago things have changed you know what what we know about food has changed but what I wasn't taught about was that emotion you know was the emotional bit all mm-hmm. the nuances that you're talking about Mel it's the, the um food is you know it was taught to me in a way that it was about fuel and it was about this that and the other and it is about so much more than that you know and and for me it's you know it's it became really quite unhealthy as a result of that but can I can I just say Amy in terms of you know I've had my whole career in nutrition I taught nutrition I don't use a lot of that nutrition knowledge I know it's that that's you know in my line of work as a nutritionist, you maybe kind of expect that. And my interest is in more about our psychological and behavioural reactions around food. But I don't think we need to microanalyze our diet as much as we don't necessarily need to know all the 15 functions of vitamin D. We might I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but and I, I definitely, I definitely can't remember the fifteen functions of vitamin D. But yeah, I think, but that's the thing, isn't it? It's become really. Um, like we feel like we need to be obsessed with that stuff Mm -hmm. and and what where it's got me to where it got me to I guess and you know I have still worked in the food industry for the last 25 years is that being around food all the time it then consumes your every single thought you know and then I found myself in patterns of being um you know restricting during the week so that I could go for it at the weekends, you know, like having some, that, that unhealthy balance. And when I go back to when I did burn out, it was, you know, I was partying at the weekends and, and I mean partying by dinner partying because I was a foodie (laughs) making lovely, lovely food at the weekend and starving myself all week and going to the gym six times a week, you know, so there, there was all of those factors going on and it ultimately led to me physically and mentally burning out. And I, it's exactly what you were saying, Mel. I didn't, I disconnected from my body. It was, I wasn't thinking about my body. I was thinking about, well, I was, I was thinking, how can I keep myself thin and still, still enjoy these things at the weekend? I know I'll just pretend that it doesn't matter that I'm starving and, you know, I feel faint in the gym because I'm trying to do too much while I'm starving myself. Yeah. You know, that was the reality. That's the problem, isn't it? In terms of we get the disconnect, so we feel out of control. So then we seek yeah. control, which is I that need, yes. perception. Yeah, I need some rules back. I need rules. Yeah, yeah. but it's also, I need to know everything. Mm. I need to know everything about what I'm doing. So it's that sort of, <laughs> I want to be an information sponge because then I'll know and then I'll be better and then I'll be okay. So it's, yeah. Mm. 
It is. And it turns out I still want to emotionally eat, no matter that I've got a degree and 25 years lived experience. You know, the, the reality still remains about the emotion, you know, it's the emotionally linked to the eating. So because we definitely normal. need to talk some more about it's human. <laughs> emotional eating is human. Yeah. We learn that for a reason. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a wonderful thing that we can find a way to cope. And food, yeah. it's okay. Food is meant to bring us safety and security and comfort. Mm. That's kind of one of the magical properties if we can allow it to do that. Mm-hmm. I like where this is going. We're going into a place of positivity. And if anyone's heard one of my TEDx talks, I'd like to get a bit of a plug in for there. I do talk about that relationship, you know, how food, it's about being celebratory as well. So we need to have a good relationship with it so that when we are with friends and family, we can behave in a normal way that's socially Mm -hmm. acceptable and enjoyable. We're not, you know, saying, well, I can't have this and I can't have that. I'm making the poor host life an absolute nightmare. We're we're part and parcel of a society. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, I can remember like turning up to, um, I used to go to like a weekly management meeting and, you know, there'd be the buffet of food, but I'd have my little pat lunch of like whatever Slimming World had told me that I could eat thing. You know, like it's just, just eat the food. Just eat the free food (laughs) that's actually free. It doesn't cost any money, not like some made up free food. (laughs) Scary though, isn't it? It's everything that you internalise says to you don't. And I think that's where, you know, this is, or I think when I'm going to come on to kind of the weight stigma and discrimination side, or come back to that. But this is where this perception of if you work in nutrition, you work in food, you're meant to be role modeling something around the mm-hmm. expectation, mm-hmm. expectation of what good nutrition mm-hmm. knowledge looks like. And that's just really backward in my mind. Yeah. Mm. So we've talked about relationships with food and the importance of having a good relationship with food and talked about having control and how that can be an issue when we're trying to manage our, our lifestyles. What about when things change as we age? For example, as we get into the menopause, it doesn't really matter what systems you have in place. You start to lose that because your menopause throws it all out. Mel, can I come to you and let's talk about some of the issues that women have as we experience weight gain during menopause and, and how that can be a problem for a lot of people yeah this is this can be so difficult for so many women I've had so many conversations particularly with women when they come to me and a real sense of frustration and loss because they are the heaviest they've ever been and the idea that they feel absolute failures because what perhaps they used to do that used to work no longer works and they just don't know where to turn. And it really comes from, again, societal expectations and we're bringing in sizeism, we're bringing in ageism and the idea that as we age, we're meant to fight the aging process and stay young and youthful because it comes back to the idea that this is a sign of success and superiority. But the reality is that 60 to 70% of women, well, midlife women anyway, going through menopause transition will experience weight gain. And we're again, we're told that that's wrong. We're told we can fight the meno belly and we are presented with photoshopped figures of sculpted vegan maybe um, physiques of women and they're just not real. 
they're not real. But when we are shown those all the time, it's like, well, I want to be like that. Why can't I be like that? So there's a huge amount of weight bias, weight stigma, weight discrimination that still exists in our in our society. And it's heavily aimed at, at women going through midlife. Yet we know our bodies are meant to change. And we're probably going, yeah, I know our bodies are meant to change, but that doesn't change the fact that I don't like it. So it's... I think when we think about weight stigma, again, it's about our perceptions and views. There are some very typical negative ideologies and stereotypes around what a bigger person may represent. The idea that somebody who is in a bigger body, and I don't use the O word, somebody who's in a bigger body or a larger body is perceived to be um, less worthy, that they're lazy. They don't care about their health. And they're perhaps just greedy and out of control. And that is incredibly harmful because when we carry or when we hear these stigmatizing messages, we internalize them. Okay, so we're kind of we can't avoid them in this world. And when we internalize them, it affects us. It increases our kind of allostatic load. It adds to our stress our emotional and physical stress. And ultimately, that internal weight stigma has negative implications on our kind of physiology and biology. It's the weight stigma that contributes to high levels of blood pressure. It's the weight stigma that contributes to high levels of type 2 diabetes, not the fatness. So again, we come back to this association is not causation, but our medical professionals, our educational systems, they are still of that belief that if you're in a bigger body, you're unhealthy. And so I meet many menopausal women who are like, I'm genuinely worried about my health, and rightly so. But is restriction and starvation the way to go through that? So something like, just as before we carry on, is like, if we think about it, high levels of internalized weight stigma are associated with high levels of risk and the diseases that we blame on fatness. So risks associated with pregnancy, having surgical procedures, for example, developing type 2 diabetes, heart disease, certain types of cancers. The risks and disease, these risks and diseases are much more likely to be caused by weight stigma and yo-yo dieting and lack of access to healthcare than the fatness itself. And that's where we need a shift in that understanding because that's when we need to stop treating the O word as a disease and trying to fix people because it's not a disease, like body diversity exists naturally. So when I hear women saying they've struggled with their weight or their life, Amy, it doesn't mean because that you've done anything wrong. It may well be due to your genes, all sorts of social determinants. It doesn't mean that somebody in a bigger body has an eating disorder, that there's a problem. It's, yeah, shifting that understanding around body diversity. I really like what you're saying there because obviously we know that our food environment is part of that and we know that people will always have a, a kind of mindset that's come from the information that they've been hearing around them and we do need to shift that mindset into looking after our health. So we do need to look at what we can measure within our health rather than how heavy we are because yeah. if your blood pressure is high, focus on that rather than yeah. focusing on weight all the time because we yeah. know we can get help for that amy yeah i'm just interested it, it's interesting what you're saying mel because when um so i'm 
I'm just about 45 and I had my daughter when I was 40. So I was already um, like <laughs> in midlife and pregnant. So I was, I was classed as a high risk pregnancy. Not They would have classed me as slightly high risk because of my age, but it was my weight that tipped me over the scales and it, and it meant that I couldn't necessarily have the birth that I tipped me over the scales. Um, <laughs> I couldn't have the birth that I wanted. You know, I had to do it. I had to be in a certain part of the hospital, not the other part because of my BMI, that sort of thing. Um, and also that, um, everything that you were talking about in terms of that stigma, there's been so many times when I have not gone to the doctors because I've been worried that they've going to say to me, you need to lose weight because it's happened. You know, I've had that shaming and, you know, I've, I, um, when I had my burnout, I was then diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Now, a lot of women with fibromyalgia also have weight problems because you have pain, you can't exercise. Therefore you, you, you end up putting on weight and then you get told that you should exercise, but you can't, you know, and it's, it, it becomes a real, exactly what you're saying that internalized shame of I should be smaller you know the doctor is telling me I should be smaller so I'm just not going to go to the doctors about other things and that's that's scary you know that 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 you know I'll I'll admit that's happened to me it must happen to a lot of people I know it does and then what you yeah yeah and then what you're saying about um the menopausal weight gain. So I've, you know, had my daughter late and I'm having an early menopause. Great, great timing for me. So I went into perimenopause in the last year, I think possibly I was in it before, but I I did actually speak to the doctor and I had blood tests and had it all confirmed. And in the last year I've seen, so I gave up dieting when I had my daughter, pretty much. I was like, this is it. I've had enough. I'm not going through this cycle anymore. I'm just going to accept that I am the way I am. Um, and then in the last year, I've noticed that I've started to put weight on and it's it's coincided with that perimenopause. And I can find, you know, I've already found myself going back into that mindset of diet mentality and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I am, I'm not going to let it win. I'm not going to let that happen. And I don't have, you know, I don't have scale. Well, I've got scales in my house They, in case I ever need them for my daughter, but they have no batteries in them. I will not weigh myself. Um, I've started to um, add food in that gives me more variety rather than taking, like trying to restrict. Yes. But I've started moving more and I feel better for moving more. But even that, you know, I've got myself a personal trainer and I've had to say to her, like let's not talk about food because she she'll like try and give me advice and it's like actually I'm here for you to help me with the movement I don't want to talk about food yeah. you know um, so that's how I but it yeah but I was just going to say that I, also it is I am still trying to control my weight like you know deep down like I I the mo- you know I am doing the movement um because I want a healthier heart, I want to live longer. I know what I know all that it will give me all of those things, but there is a list, still a little bit of me that's like putting my hand on my thighs, going, "Oh, they're getting a little bit skinnier." You know, I can't, I can't help yeah. it. It's there, it's, deep inside, deep rooted inside. Yeah, doesn't you know? That's normal. It's and the idea of yeah. you know letting go of weight. Oh my goodness, it's easier said than done when it's something yeah. that we've used. <laughs> to kind of tell us where we are in life or on a particular Mm. day. We can't just switch that off. And part of the journey Mm. with learning to let go of it is kind of exploring what 
the numbers or whatever it is or the size of the clothing or how you see your reflection in the mirror what that means for you and it's yeah Mm. but I think it's brilliant to to hide the scales choose things for you that are affirming and aligned to your body is yeah that's great Mm. well done yeah it's a fantastic journey amy i think that's that's amazing it really is impressive that you've made that that switch and said right this is where i'm at and focusing on health and knowing your numbers actually i was really excited back end of last year i went to the um the i think it's called the it's not the equivalent of the nhs it's the chest and stroke and health society that we've got in belfast in northern ireland and they do a bit of a run through and they check your blood pressure your blood sugar and so on and so forth to look at your heart age and heart health and they were really pleased with mine i just thought it's so interesting that we're being not necessarily rewarded and applauded but you do get a little bit of a certificate and an email to say <laughs> look these are your numbers and i've never been so excited about a set of health numbers because up until <laughs> that point you now I was going in for my checks with a doctor and they put you on the scales and they do your BMI mm. and it was never good news as I got into my mid-40s but they were so proud of me because I had good cholesterol levels and I had good <laughs> blood pressure and I had good, good blood sugar and I was like oh, actually why aren't we talking about those numbers and we talk about the weight numbers and it's a shame that we're not there yet but I'm definitely going to make it a mission to keep spreading that word. Absolutely. Yeah that's do you know what that's so that, and it's really resonating with me because we've just got the first letter that you get from school of of the height and weight of your child thing. You know, they they measure them at, she's in foundation level and then they measure them at like just before they go to secondary school. And I remember my mum actually really defending me because the school had said, not that I was overweight, but I was too tall. <laughs> like, what the? <laughs> are, are you concerned oh because your God. daughter's a bit too tall? Um, she was, they were like, my mum was like, would you like me to get a hammer? Like, <laughs> on the head? You know, so like measurements that make sense like let's look at the numbers the ones that actually matter not you're a little bit too tall too right so maybe that's <laughs> why maybe that's why she's a bit heavier oh my goodness but no, this is it though we're still in that belief place where we think that weight is a is a good indicator of health and it's not and there's no direct mm. correlation between body weight and those kind of biochemical markers of blood pressure and sugar um also amy you can mm. opt out of that school weight measurement program. Oh, I know, I know. And do you know what? It's uh, and I obviously wouldn't even show it to my daughter or anything. Um, she seems to have her dad's genes. She's very slender. And, and do you know what? I hate that I am even thinking. Oh, I'm pleased for her that she's got that and that she's not got my fat genes. It's horrible that I'm even thinking that. It's not, that, Amy. Because um, I, I'll admit it all out loud on a podcast. Why not? <laughs> no, but Amy, it's not because it's easier to live in this world in a thinner body. You've experienced Definitely. stigma, yeah. So that's that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. part of this picture. Mm-hmm. So I I get that. Yeah, yeah. I don't want her to have suffered in the way that I have and just saying it out loud and using the word suffer feels a bit strong, but it, it, it is the reality, yeah. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's held me back for a long time. And in the last couple of years when I've set up my own business, I've wanted to hide because I wanted to hide my body. And mm-hmm. I'm really proud of in the last few weeks, having had a photo shoot in the most bright colored clothes with 
like bits of hat fat hanging out and who cares because this is who I am I am larger than life and you look amazing that photo Thanks. shoot was awesome I was, was so awesome. jealous of that I was like oh I wish I had the time to do that yeah <laughs> and ladies we've given it our all we've covered a heck of a lot of things in, in this half hour I'd like to wrap up some of the messages that we've, we've touched on because we've talked about starting off with the whole image issues and yes we can't change society but we can go along Amy's journey and get to the point where we are letting go of losing weight and focusing on our health and prioritizing that well-being over weight loss and also you know both Mel and Amy talked about what we add into our lives that richness of experience as well as the wide variety of foods that we have the right to enjoy and access with our friends our community and our workplace and ditching the scales Mel any last words from you I would say our bodies, they're not DIY projects. We don't need to kind of work on them as a project and and fix them. And I think in terms of looking at, as we go into our wiser years, can we look beyond our appearance? And that's hard, it is. But can we, if we can let go of, yeah, chasing that ideal, hitting the number, what if we shifted our mind to supporting our body in in its 60s and 70s and, and beyond? So for me, I'm kind of rather than the beach body, I'm looking for bone density. I'm balanced. <laughs> uh, does guess- sound as sexy, Mel. <laughs> Core strength and good mental health. That's my motivation, really. Um, and really just shifting from that self-rejection Can we invite that self-compassion and instead challenge the ways that we've been told to reject ourselves? Wise words. Thank Mm. you, Mel. And Amy, some last words from you, please. I think mine would be, you know, if I could go back to my younger self, I would say, you know, you're good enough just the way you are and take up as much blooming space as you want to you know and I think anybody listening I would say the same and I encourage women all the time to take up space vocally and if if you want to take up space with your body as well just do that just do it with a lens of health (laughs) (laughs) it's all about health and being positive because from what I've seen from my research if we don't do that in our midlife by the time we get to our 60s and 70s we're storing ourselves up for huge problems so I found this conversation incredibly valuable and Mm. if it only helps one or two listeners we've done our bit I think I've been really impressed at what you've shared today both Mel and Amy it's been really good of you to come on the show and we've got lots of resources in the show notes that people can go and access both your websites and some other information around that healthy relationship with food so thank you so much for dedicating the time going through all of this with me and providing me with those resources to share to our listeners thank you it's been fun such a pleasure to be chatting to you both thank you yeah absolute pleasure thanks barbara and mel (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode of women positively aging If you like what you've heard, please do click subscribe and you'll be notified of when the next episode lands on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all the usual podcast players. Don't hesitate to contact me if you're also interested in hearing more about my healthy ageing diet research. 
I'd love to work with businesses who are developing food products and looking at how they can improve them and target them towards people's needs as they age, but also organizations that want to help their employees who are in midlife improve the quality of their diets and inevitably how they will age and live well for longer. Thank you for listening and I look forward to having you on again when I have the next episode. Take care and stay well. Monkey Pants Productions Podcast.